We read God's Word this morning, first of all, in Psalm 84, and then we'll turn to Psalm 88. Read these in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism's instruction on Lord's Day 16, which is about the death, burial, and descent of Christ into hell. As we read through Psalm 84, I encourage you to look for the longing that the psalmist expresses for heaven. That's what the death of Jesus Christ does. It changes our view of death so that we long for heaven. Look for the longing here that the psalmist has for life with God. Psalm 84, to the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Now we turn to Psalm 88. We read Psalm 88 because this is a description of the suffering that Jesus Christ endured during His descent into hell, death, and burial. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah. To the chief musician upon Mahaloth, Leonoth, Maskil of Heman, the Ezrahite. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before Thee. Let my prayer come before Thee, incline Thine ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, 
like the slain that lie in the grave, whom Thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from Thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and Thou hast afflicted me with all Thy ways. Selah. Thou hast put away mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and cannot come forth. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon Thee. I have stretched out my hands unto Thee. Wilt Thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise Thee? Selah. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark, and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scripture and many others besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 16. Towards day 16, why was it necessary for Christ to humble Himself even unto death? Because with respect to the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made no otherwise than by the death of the Son of God. Why was He also buried? Thereby to prove that He was really dead. Since then Christ died for us, why must we also die? Our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? That by virtue thereof, our old man is crucified, dead, and buried with Him. That so the corrupt inclinations of the flesh may no more reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves unto Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why is there added, He descended into hell? That in my greatest temptations I may be assured and wholly comfort myself in this, 
that my Lord Jesus Christ, by His inexpressible anguish, pains, terrors, and hellish agonies, in which He was plunged during all His sufferings, but especially on the cross, hath delivered me from the anguish and torments of hell. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism in this Lord's Day, sticking with its theme of comfort, addresses what is the greatest fear that man has. Death. There are many things that can cause men and women to become anxious and fearful. We can worry about work. We can worry about the home. Worry about the school. Worry about the church. We can worry about sick children. We can worry about sick, aging parents. We can become anxious about the deadline that looms over our head. We can become fearful about the relationships that we have on this earth. But all of these fears and worries that we have on this earth are but expressions of the great fear that every man by nature has. A fear of death. That there comes a moment where I no longer will have a place in an existence On this earth, my breath will cease, my heart will stop beating, my body will grow cold, loved ones will take my body and put that body down in the ground. That is the most basic fear that man has. This Lord's Day addresses that fear. Of the five questions contained in this Lord's Day, three of the five speak of the benefit for you and for me as we contemplate the end of our earthly existence. Our comfort is found not in looking at ourselves, but in looking at what Jesus Christ has done for us. What is the benefit of Jesus' death for you? Let's consider this morning the benefits of Christ's death. First, we'll see that His death was a sacrificial death done in our place 
Second, we'll see that his death is a transforming death, which transforms death for you and me. Then we'll see that his death is an empowering act, gives us the power of holiness. The benefits of Christ's death, sacrificial, transforming, and empowering. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that 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 Jesus Christ was dead, buried. He descended into hell. We start with the fact that He was dead. What a thought. It, It almost seems blasphemous to say this when you consider who the subject is in this sentence. Jesus was dead. He who was the Son of God, who was equal with God in every respect, indeed, He who Himself was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He who was God died. It is as profound a thought as the incarnation of Jesus Christ. How is it possible that He who was God could be born into this world? And now we face the question, how is it possible that He who was God could die upon the cross? Death. Did He even deserve to die. You see, death has become so common to us. We encounter reminders of death on almost a daily level that the cold, hard reality of death can sometimes be removed from our thinking. We start to think that death simply belongs to the natural order of the things on this earth. It it happens all around us in creation. Animals grow up, animals get old, and animals die. In the springtime, the trees bud, the leaves grow forth, and then in the fall time, the leaves die, and they fall off of the tree. And the same happens to human beings. Infants are born, and then they grow up, they get old, and eventually that individual dies. And because we see this, what's called cycle of life, around us all of the time, sometimes we can forget about then the fact that death is not natural to this earth. Death is not simply a natural way in which cycles happen here below. In the beginning, it was not so. When God created the heavens and the earth, and God evaluated the heavens and the earth, He looked upon this creation, and He found that it was very good. 
Death is not natural, but death is an unnatural intervention into this earth. Death is the curse of God. God told Adam and Eve, the day that thou eatest of this fruit, thou shalt surely die. Did Jesus deserve to die? He didn't. He didn't eat of the forbidden fruit. He didn't have a guilty nature. Even after He went 40 days and 40 nights without food and drink, without food, and then was tempted of the devil to take that stone and turn that stone into bread, he did not eat of that which was forbidden him. Being perfectly pure and perfectly righteous, having all of his actions performed out of love, His will being in accord with the will of His Father who had sent Him, Jesus Christ, could say, should not have died, but should have lived everlastingly. But He died. And then we confess He was buried. Question 41, why was He also buried thereby to prove that He was really dead? His body was taken down off of that accursed tree. They took His body down hastily, for it was Friday afternoon going into Friday evening, and the Sabbath day was quickly approaching. And so they had to make haste in getting His body down and into the grave. Joseph of Arimathea, the Scriptures inform us, boldly went unto Pilate requesting the body of Jesus. Pilate granted that request. They took his body and placed it inside of the grave. The grave signifies corruption. The grave symbolizes the end It's the end of man's existence upon this earth. No more is that man going to occupy a place upon this earth. No more is that man going to use his talents, his abilities in relationships and in the work to which he previously had been called upon this earth. But the the grave signifies the end for that man. It doesn't matter how powerful, how important that man was, what an influential place that man may have occupied during the time that he was alive on this earth. When he is put into that grave, his power, his influence, his place on this earth comes to an end. And there his flesh rots until it returns to the dust from whence the flesh was created. Jesus Christ was placed at the grave. And then we confess regarding our Savior 
that he descended into hell. The order here is not a temporal order, but a logical order. This was the deepest suffering that Christ endured. He descended into hell. Throughout his whole life, throughout the unjust trial, throughout the crucifixion, throughout that time on the cross, Jesus Christ descended into hell. Hell, as it were, was brought unto Him. He faced in hell the inexpressible anguish, pains, terrors, and hellish agonies. Psalm 88, verse 15, Jesus speaks here, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. He was dead, buried, and descended into hell. But why? If he was innocent, if he was perfectly holy all of his life long and did not deserve to die, then why? What we see this morning, beloved, is that the death of Jesus Christ was a sacrificial death. It's a death that has benefit, a sacrificial benefit for you and for me as we are united unto Jesus Christ. The benefit of the death of Jesus Christ is this, that He died, He was buried, and He suffered the inexpressible anguish of hell in your and my place. Just as in His lifelong suffering, just as in His innocent condemnation before Pilate, just as in His crucifixion, Jesus Christ was bearing our sorrows, so it is that in Jesus Christ's death, He laid down His life for us. He conquered these enemies so that you and I do not have to fear these enemies. You and I do not have to worry that we will be put to death because God is angry with us. You and I do not have to worry that our bodies are going to be put in the grave as an expression of the wrath and the anger of God against us. Jesus Christ did these in our place. Yes, it is true that if Jesus Christ tarries, we still will die and our bodies will be put in the grave. But they've been transformed 
And we'll see that in the second point, how they've been changed. But for now we note, we may have comfort as we face death because Jesus Christ took the wrath of God away. He laid down His life for us because we are united unto Him. And this is such an important point that we are one with Jesus Christ. The Catechism speaks of this union that we have with Jesus Christ. It does so in answer 43. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? That by virtue thereof, our old man is crucified, dead, and buried with Him. And now we focus on that word, with. We were crucified, dead and buried with Jesus Christ. And that because there is a union, a gracious, God-established, unbreakable union between Jesus Christ and His people. And so when Jesus Christ suffered all His life long, and when Jesus Christ was hanged upon the cross, He did not do so merely as an individual, but Jesus Christ did so as the head, the representative head of His people. As He bore in body and in soul the wrath of God, He did so as the head over His people. God became angry at His Son, Jesus Christ. Let Jesus Christ face the wrath and the anger of God because of that union that Jesus Christ has with His people. And so the Christian may confess then, I was crucified with Jesus Christ. Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How unbreakable is this bond, this union that we have with Jesus Christ. It is so strong that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can break this bond that we have with Jesus Christ. The cross was not capable of breaking that bond between Jesus Christ and His people. Death as Jesus Christ breathed His last breath and gave up the ghost, death was not capable of breaking that bond that is established between Jesus Christ and His people. The grave corrupt. Though the grave is, the grave was incapable of breaking that bond that we have with Jesus Christ. So that as Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body of Jesus Christ and put that body in the tomb, we went into the tomb with Jesus Christ. We are crucified, 
dead and buried. The strength of this bond is not found in you or me. It's not because of our own selves we sought Jesus Christ, wanted Him to die for our sins. But the strength of the bond is found in the power of the One who established this union. The strength of the bond is the power of God Himself. This might be illustrated in the act of adoption. When parents adopt a child and take this child into their home, sometimes can be difficulty in the transition phase as that child is taken into the home, especially if the child is older, not an infant, and that child has memories of life outside of the home. And as that child is taken into the new home by his adoptive parents, the child at times can sinfully rebel against his adoptive parents. He remembers a time when he wasn't in this home. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. You don't have to, can't tell me what I have to do. A child would do his own thing. But does the rebelliousness of that child break the bond that the parents have with that child? It doesn't. And the reason the rebellion of the child doesn't break that bond is because the strength of the bond is not found in the child, but it's found in the one who has established the bond. Because father and mother are committed unto taking this child into their home, nurturing, teaching, providing for that child. The rebelliousness of the child notwithstanding that bond still exists. And so it is, beloved, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our rebelliousness notwithstanding. And oh, we are rebellious, are we not? Even after we're taken into the home and the family and the covenant of the Father. Yet, we have those memories of what it was like living one with the world and our flesh wants what the world has to offer. But our rebelliousness notwithstanding, the strength of the bond is found in the God who created this union between Jesus Christ and His people. God has given us unto His Son, Jesus Christ, And in love for His bride, Jesus laid down His life. That's the sacrificial benefit of the death of Jesus Christ. Notice with me then, beloved, the transforming power of His death. Answer 42 of the Catechism lists out two of the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Since then, Christ died for us, 
why must we also die? Our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only an abolishing of sin and a passage into eternal life. We consider, first of all, the concluding benefit. Our death is a passage into eternal life. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, death is not to be considered as the enemy, but death is now a servant. Death is the doorway through which God is pleased to take His people into their everlasting home. The Scriptures illustrate this reality with the Old Testament Israelites, as they stood outside of the land of promise, having wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, their eyes looking across the river into the promised land of Canaan, they are eager and excited to be in Canaan. But there is this mighty rushing river, the Jordan, that prevents their entry into that land of promise. Of themselves, they would not have been able to stop the flow of that river. But God reached down from heaven, and God held back the waters so that the whole company could pass into the promised land. That's what God does at the time of death. God, as it were, holds back the rushing waters of life. And God draws us across the Jordan River home into the rest, the peace, the joy of life and fellowship with God. Knowing that Jesus Christ has transformed death, we learn to have a different view of death. We must learn it. By God's grace, we do learn it. It's not a natural view of death. Our natural view of death is that death is the end. Death severs all relationships. And even for the child of God, there are tears that are shed at the graveside as the reality sets in that never again on this side of Jordan will you be able to speak with, embrace, fellowship with this individual. But the Christian learns over the course of his life to view death not only according to its natural perspective, but also according to the perspective of faith. Faith gives unto us a different, yea, a heavenly view of death. Faith gives unto us to know 
that death is the instrument of God to bring me unto Jesus Christ and the church triumphant. The moment that I pass away, I am delivered from this body of death. Romans 7, verse 24. And so it is that the Christian already on this earth longs for heaven. The psalmist, we confess with the psalmist, Psalm 84, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Verse 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so the Christian has this tension while he's on this earth, does he not? Attention as he feels torn between two desires. On the one hand, he has a desire to depart, to be in heaven and be with Jesus Christ, which according to Philippians is gain. But on the other hand, he has a desire to remain here on this earth, which is more needful for those who are around us. But more and more, as we go through the trials, the heartaches, and the disappointments of this earth, God Himself, by His Holy Spirit, cultivates in our hearts a desire to go home. The second benefit listed here. By the catechism, answer 42, our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only an abolishing of sin. What a thought that at the moment of death, sin will reign in us no more because it's been abolished. Sin Sin issues forth from us like water from a spring. Sins, even the holiest of people, have but a small beginning of this new obedience that God requires of us. Sin, is it not a lawless rebellion against the very God who created us and who takes us into His covenant and fellowship? Sins which arise from a heart that by nature do not know God, but willfully turn away from the Creator God. Sins. A great and a heavy burden upon the Spirit-filled Christian. The man of the world does not care one whit about his sinfulness. He might weep great tears of lamentation when he is caught in an act of open, gross sinfulness. 
But he weeps not because he has offended the holy majesty of God. But he weeps only because of the consequences and the embarrassment of being caught. Not the man of the world, but the child of God, and only the child of God, senses the burden of sin in this life. The hope that we have because of the union with Jesus Christ is that at the moment of death, sin will be abolished. It's abolished in every form at the moment of death. The sinful nature that we have, that corrupt nature that we've inherited from our first father, Adam. At the moment of death, our sinful nature is abolished. Then as well, the act of committing sins will be abolished at the moment of death. It will no longer be possible to sin after God takes us into heaven. And then as well, the guilt that comes from our sinfulness. The pricked conscience crying out in shame and agony over our unworthiness before God. The guilt of sin. Abolished at the moment of death. Death is then an answer to the prayer that Jesus Christ teaches us to pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For as long as God is pleased to have us remain on this earth, we must pray for grace to resist evil, to fight against the pride of life and the lusts of the flesh. And every day we are confronted with the fact that we cannot completely overcome the sinfulness of our nature. But at last, death provides an answer to those prayers that are oft repeated, it's an end to the lifelong suffering against sin. No more proud thoughts. No more sharp and angry words. But the bliss of perfect life lived in communion with God. That's what awaits us at the moment of death. We've considered the benefits of the death of Jesus Christ for that future moment when He comes for each one of us individually through death. But is there any consolation for you and for me today? while we wait for death. There is. 
The benefit of the death of Jesus Christ for you and for me is that His death empowers us to a life of holiness and sanctification. 43. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? That by virtue thereof, our old man is, present tense, is crucified, dead, and buried with Him, so that the corrupt inclinations of the flesh may no more reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves unto Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Apart from this death of Jesus Christ upon the cross, we would have no power to be able to fight against sins and our sinful nature in this lifetime. We would not be able to make use of the armor that God gives unto us as we fight against the devil and that old man of sin. Not only is it the case that you and I would not want to, if Jesus Christ had not died in our place, and that's true too, we would not even have a desire to fight against sin. We would not even want to live a life of gratitude and obedience unto God. But not only is that the case that we would fail to have an inner desire to serve Jehovah God, but also this, beloved, we would not be able to serve Jehovah God. Without the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, we would be required to confess, I cannot. I cannot live in a life of holiness. I cannot so much as lift a finger in obedience to the commands of God. I cannot love Him, trust Him, follow Him. The pathway of holiness is too steep of an incline. The road that leads to life everlasting is too narrow. I would fall off into the ditch. Apart from the death of Jesus Christ, that would be what we would have to confess. But how different is the claim and the confidence of the one for whom Christ died. The Christian man does not say, I cannot obey God's laws, but he says, by God's grace, I can obey. The Christian woman does not say, my corrupt nature is so strong that I have no choice but to live in disobedience to God's will for me. But the Christian woman, in one voice with the church, confesses that the corrupt inclinations of the flesh may no more reign in us. 
that we may offer ourselves unto Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving that we are made capable of offering. Not a sacrifice of payment, for the price has been paid in full. But a sacrifice of gratitude, rendering unto God grateful returns of ardent love. The believer filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ is strengthened within his heart and in his soul to fight against sin. The Christian is given the confidence that he can resist the advances of the devil because I've been crucified with him and now, Romans 6 verse 2, I am dead unto sin. Romans 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, by faith we confess that we do long Yea, faint for Thy courts, O Lord. A day in Thy courts is better than a thousand apart from Thee. We would be content with the lowliest position in Thy house than to dwell for a moment in the tents of wickedness. Wilt Thou send us home with Thy blessing Receive this worship for Jesus' sake. Amen.